First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you have loved the world so much that you gave your one and only Son. And you promised us that if we would turn from our sin and believe in your Son, Jesus, that we would not perish. but We would have life, abundant life here and eternal life with you. Father, we thank you for a new year. A new year to worship you together. A new year to serve you together. A new year to grow as disciples together. And a new year to be on mission together. We pray you would glorify your name in this place, in this corner of your kingdom this year. And Lord, would you speak to us even now through your perfect and holy word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. After being away last week on vacation, it is so uh, good to be able to be back with my church family today. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and just hold your place there. We'll be reading a passage from that chapter in, in a few minutes. Uh, today is going to be a little bit of a different day for us. Today is our Covenant Sunday where the members of our church each year renew our commitment to one another and to the Lord. And we'll be ending our services today with that. It's always a special time for us. Uh, In just a few minutes, we'll be kicking off a new uh, teaching series. But before we even get to that, this Sunday each year is also what we call our Vision Day. And it's an opportunity to take a few minutes to look backward at the year that we have had and the things that God has done among us and also to look ahead to the year that is to come. Uh, because I do want to make it to First Thessalonians 2 uh, today, we won't be able to spend too long uh, talking about this past year, but 2018 was uh, uh, just an incredible year where God has continued to bless our church in, in so many ways. Uh, There is such a sweet spirit of unity uh, in our church, in our fellowship, that only the Holy Spirit of God can uh, produce. Uh, Also, there is a growing culture of discipleship in our church. This past year, our women's ministry, the Adorned Ministry, uh, was launched, and that's a big part of that. Hundreds of ladies in our church who have been impacted through this ministry, who are meeting together uh, one-on-one uh, in discipling relationships. It's just really encouraging to see what God is doing there. Uh, this past year, we have seen lives changed. We have seen people saved. We have seen marriages uh, restored. Uh, This past year, we have seen the launch of our church planting pipeline where almost 30 people are even now being trained to be sent out on church planting teams in the future. And 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 there's so much more that I could say about 2018, but certainly one thing that has to be shared about one of the highlights of 2018 was the launch of our Greater Things vision this past September. I know that since September, there have uh, been some of you who have come to our church family and may not know what uh, Greater Things is, is even about. 
Uh, I know we also uh, have uh, some folks we affectionately call snowbirds who have flown south for the winter. And uh, you have joined us. And perhaps you did not arrive here until after uh, greater things was shared with our church. And you're not sure uh, what that is either. But what we shared with our church back in September is that we believe that God is calling us to do greater things. Greater things to make disciples here and greater things to make disciples everywhere. And because of that, we believe the Lord is leading us to both expand our facility here that we might be able to reach more folks in this area and also that he's calling us to send out church planting teams to other locations. And really what has driven us is, is the tremendous gospel need that is all around us. And we were blown away when we first learned that there are 282,000 people within 10 miles of our church here on Derry Road. That number is growing every day as you drive around and see new neighborhoods, one after the other, that are going in. And statistically speaking, they say that three out of four Floridians do not know the Lord Jesus in a saving way. And if that is true of the 282,000 who live within 10 miles of our church, then what that means is there are more than 200,000 people within 10 miles of us who don't know Jesus. And God has called us, God has called our church to be a part of his plan to reach them. And so after years of work by our exploratory building team, we believe that expanding our facility is a necessary step to be able to make space and make room for those that God has been sending to us. And you can see on the screen behind me a diagram of the proposed new worship center and gathering space, which will be built just to the south of where we are now, right out in front of our education building. You can also see the expanded parking lot area there to the south. Uh, here also is a rendering of what this new facility could uh, look like. Uh, and of course, our building team has continued to be uh, working since September. And in the next few months, we believe that we'll be ready to present more information to, to you, our church family, and to vote together on uh, next steps in this project. And Lord willing, we hope that uh, we will be able to break ground on this building before the end of this year. We're excited uh, about all of this, this next step, and being able to make room to reach more people here with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But we know also that there's a tremendous gospel need, not just here in Melbourne and Palm Bay, but all over our country. In fact, there are 269 million people living in the United States who don't know Jesus. And this lostness is especially concentrated and prevalent in the major urban centers of our country, in our big cities. And that's why God has given us a goal as a church of planting one church per year starting in the year 2021. Some of these church plants will be local. Uh, some of these church plants, we believe, will be in major cities across the U.S. And again, in our church planting pipeline, there are many of you who are already even now being trained uh, to be able to be sent out as a part of one of these church planting teams. Perhaps in the future, there will be others of you that God will call to be a part of one of these church planting efforts. And because we believe so much that God has not just called us to make disciples here, but he has called us to make disciples everywhere, 
the way that we have set up the greater things effort is that for every dollar that is given, 10 cents of that, 10% will be used for these church planting efforts in the future. I know that many of you were here in September and October, and uh, you are already a part of greater things. And I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving, your faithfulness in praying, your excitement about what God is doing. But again, maybe some of you were not here uh, in September. You've joined our church since then, or you've moved back to the area since that time, but you want to be a part of what is happening as well. We want to give you that opportunity. Uh, If you go to this uh, website, fbcml.org forward slash greater things, there's some neat videos there. Tells a lot more of the story uh, about what God is doing than I'm able to share here. And I encourage you to check that out. Uh, And then also just as we did in the fall, Uh, We're going to have in the next uh, few weeks, later this month, two special vision dessert gatherings that are specifically designed for folks who were not here uh, back in September and October uh, when we had the vision desserts at that time. And so if you were not here, you weren't able to make it to one of those gatherings, uh, actually today, right after each of our services, we're going to have a table out front uh, where you can sign up for one of these vision desserts. You see the times and the days on the screen behind me. And also at that sign-up table, there'll be some other information that you can take that'll let you know more about greater things. And so as we look to the year ahead, so many exciting things that are going to be happening in 2019. And I just want to put a few prayer requests in front of us as a church for things that we can be praying about this year. And the first one relates to what we were just talking about. Let's pray for faith and wisdom for greater things. Faith and wisdom for greater things. In the midst of all the excitement about what is happening, seeing plans fleshed out and voting together on next steps and seeing ground being broken on a brand new building, let's not forget that we need the Lord to guide us every step of the way. Let's pray together for our building team as they work. Let's pray for our pastoral team. Let's pray for our builder, for our architect. Let's pray for our church planning pipeline, for Aaron as he leads this ministry. Let's pray uh, as we uh, make plans about when and where to send our first church planting team. Let's pray that in all of this, God would give us faith and God would give us wisdom and that he would lead us and that he would guide us. And then let's pray also, secondly, for lives to be changed through the treehouse and our partnership with Brevard Rescue Mission. I can't tell you how excited I am about this. After years, literally years of of waiting and planning and praying and asking the Lord, uh, a year and a half ago, uh, many of you sacrificially gave to our Building the Treehouse campaign. We've been waiting to be able to use those funds, uh, waiting for some red tape to be cut through, and that has now happened. And as Pastor Doug shared with us in December, in the next week or two, Uh, you will see uh, dirt moving across the street, and you will see that renovation work beginning uh, on our treehouse. And uh, let's pray for that this year. Let's pray that um, this ministry uh, would be able to be launched later this year. And let's pray for lives to be changed for the first women and first children who are coming out uh, of a time of homelessness in their lives, that through this ministry of the treehouse, that they'll be able to have a fresh start and a new beginning. And then number three, let's pray uh, that we would be, as a church, a word-hungry and prayer-dependent people. 
And one of the things that the Lord keeps reminding me about is how easy it is for us to just move on, just to, to rush on and do church and think that we can do that without the Lord. And my prayer has always been that we would be a desperate church, that we would be hungry for the Word of God, hungry for the Word of God in our own personal lives. In the worship folder today, there's a link you can go to to print off a Bible reading plan for 2019 if you don't already have a plan that you're following. And it's one that you could already, you could catch up on even if you start today on the 13th of the month. You'll have time to catch up on that plan and to read through half of the Old Testament in 2019. I pray we'd be hungry for the Word in our own individual lives, but I pray also that we'd be hungry for the Word when we meet together in our small groups, that we would devour the Word of God together. I pray we'd be hungry for the Word of God when we meet together in worship. That's why I love to see you come with your Bible and with something to, to take notes and to write down what God is, is saying to you. I'm excited to tell you that starting in February, uh, we will be beginning a, a journey through the books of First and Second Samuel. Uh, God has been speaking to me through these books and my own personal time with the Lord. And we're going to study these books together. Uh, it'll carry us throughout 2019 and all the way into 2020. Well, let's pray that we would be hungry for the Word as a church. Let's pray also that we would be prayer dependent as a church. Dependent on prayer in our personal lives, dependent on prayer in our families, and dependent on prayer as a church family. This past year, we had a time of prayer in the war room, our prayer room, every Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m. Uh, each week. And while we did have a faithful few, and I'm so thankful for that faithful few, uh, who were here with me each Wednesday this year. Clearly, this was not the ideal time uh, for most folks. And so this year, uh, starting this Wednesday night, uh, we're going to have a time of prayer from 6 to 6.30 uh, between our Wednesday night uh, family meal and the beginning of our life groups at 6.30. And so for anyone who can make it, I would love to see you for prayer this Wednesday night. And then one final prayer request to share with you. Let's pray that every disciple here would be a disciple maker here and everywhere. And this prayer request relates directly to the series that we are starting today. You know, we don't need to wait for a new building to carry out the mission that God has given to our church and to every church to make disciples. This is how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 28. You'll see the words on the screen behind me, this great passage. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what our Savior and our Lord clearly said. That's what our Savior has commanded each of us, all of us, to go and to make disciples. And yet, that just is not happening in the lives of many Christians and really in many entire churches. And that is why I say that a revolution is needed in the American church. Revolution is needed in the American church. In many churches in America today, there is a spectator culture. 
People go to church and they sit back in the stands, they sit in the pews, they sit in the chairs, and they take in the show. And they leave and do their thing, and then they come back next week to take in the next show. And if after a period of time they don't like that show, they go and find a different show. That's what church has become to many Christians in America today. It's a, it's a show that is meant to entertain us and inspire us and encourage us, but we've made it all about us, and church was never all about us. And church also isn't a show. In fact, I would tell you that church isn't even something that you go to. Biblically, church is something that you are. Church is something that we are. We are a people who have been saved by God's grace and who have been brought together into a family so we can worship God, so we can grow together as disciples, and so we can serve God and make God known together. Here's how Pastor David Platt put it. The church is not an audience of spectators. We are a fellowship of disciple makers. At least that's what we should be. And as I alluded to earlier, I've been so encouraged in the past few years at how many folks in our church are embracing that call to make disciples with their lives. We're seeing more people than ever who are embracing that call, who are sharing the gospel with their unsaved friends, who are investing and pouring into the lives of other believers and helping them to grow. And it's been awesome to see that. But I don't want us to ever be content with where we are as a church because the Lord wants to take us further. He wants to take us deeper. And he's calling all of us, all of us, to join the discipleship revolution, to stop being a spectator and to start truly investing in the lives of other people. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to talk very practically from the Word of God about how we can do that, how we can walk alongside someone else and what we're calling the disciple-making pathway. And you can see the stages of that pathway on the screen behind me and starting in that top left-hand corner, we're going to talk about how we can share with someone who now at this moment does not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus and how we can share the love and the life and the gospel with them. But then that isn't where the disciple-making pathway ends. That's where it just begins. And so next time when we pick up, we're going to move to to talk about connection. How do we help that person connect with with God, connect with the church, connect with, with service and using their gifts to serve the Lord? And as we continue to move around that wheel and make that revolution, we're going to talk about how do we equip believers as as now they've been a believer for some time and they're growing and how do they grow in their faith and become equipped to do all that God has created them to do. And then we'll end in that bottom left-hand corner and talk about how we can help to send people out, to send disciples out to the mission that God has uniquely created them for. And this pathway is something that uh, we plan to use for a long time here as a simple way to talk about how to make disciples. And so it's going to be a fun couple of weeks as we unveil this and talk about this for the very first time. But you know, that pathway starts with that first word, share. 
Making disciples starts with sharing our love and sharing our life and sharing the gospel with someone who right now at this moment does not know Jesus. And the passage we're going to look at with the time we have left gives us an example of how the Apostle Paul did just that, how he shared with those who did not know the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's read verses 8 through 13. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Verse 13, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Paul and his missionary team uh, planted this church in the city of Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And throughout this letter, you can see how much Paul loves this particular church. While they were not a perfect church, they were exemplary in many ways. And so he wants to encourage them uh, in this letter. And in the passage that we just read, Paul is reminding them about when they first believed. He is reminding them about when Paul and his team first came to them and began to minister to them uh, during that period of time. And as we read about here, Paul shared with them. And we can see a picture of that, or in that, of how we can share with those who are around us. If we want to see a disciple-making revolution happen in Melbourne, Paul shows us how we can see one. And it starts when we share our love. And verse 8 is the key verse that we're going to look at uh, today. Look at that with me again. He says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Those words, affectionately longing, translate a Greek word that is a rare word. It's a word that speaks about the love that exists between a parent and a dearly loved child. That's the way Paul says that he loved these people. It's a powerful love. And actually, if you look at the verse right above that in verse 7, he uses the image of a mother. Later in the text, he speaks about loving them like a father. But in verse 7, he speaks about loving them like a mother. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. There's really not very many more powerful images of love than that a mother with her newborn child. A mother will do anything for her child, right? A mother will sleep about approximately 35 minutes per night, right, during those early days and will not blink an eye, will do it with a smile because of the love that she has for that baby boy or that baby girl that God has brought into their life. Paul says that's how tender, that's how affectionate, that's how loving we were towards the people 
that were in this city of Thessalonica. After giving that image of a nursing mother in verse 7, he says in verse 8, affectionately longing for you. That's how he begins the verse. And then look at how he ends the verse. He says, we were well pleased to impart to you the gospel of God, our own lives. Why? Because you had become dear to us. So he begins that verse and he ends that verse by speaking about how much he loved the people who were in this city. And now to be sure, throughout this section, Paul is speaking about the ministry that he had with the Thessalonians over a period of time. And some of that ministry happened before they came to know Christ. Some of that ministry happened after they came to know Christ and the way that they cared for them as newborn believers. But all of these things that we're going to talk about, all of this sharing that Paul and his team did with these individuals, they did all of that sharing both before they came to know Christ and after they came to know Christ. And of course, that will be the case with us as well. But it all has to start with love. Love for God and love for others motivates us to share with folks. Paul says it's because of how much we loved you that we shared with you. What about you, friend? Do you love the people of this city with that kind of love? Do you love both the lost in this city and the saved in this city with that kind of intense love? Do you love them to the point that you're willing to break out of your comfort zone and cross the street and build a relationship with them? We're going to talk more about this in just a minute, but I'm afraid that what we love today is really our own privacy. What we love today is our own personal space, and we love our own entertainment, and we love our own comforts, and we love to be with people who are just like us, but if we're going to make an impact on this city among those who don't know Christ, we have to reach out and we have to love them. We have to love people who are not like us. We have to love people who don't look like us, who don't dress like us, who don't behave like us. We have to love people who act lost because they are lost. You have to be willing to love like Jesus. You know, the ministry that Jesus had was one where he was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners because he sought them out and he loved them. And I know this sounds simple, almost too simple, but it has to start with love. Loving people as we love ourselves, Jesus said. It has to start with real, authentic love, by the way. And we're not loving people authentically if in our eyes they're just a little project to us. And people are not projects. And you know, people can tell if that's what they are to us. When we don't genuinely love them and all we want to do is to see them become a Christian. I like how Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon put it in their book, The Art of Neighboring. They said this, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. I think it's really crucial to understand that. It's, it's because we have experienced the love of God, because the love of God that dwells in us compels us. We love our neighbors and we love everyone else we meet and we love them whether or not they ever make a decision for Christ that we see in our lifetime. We love them because God's love has changed us. 
And you say, well, yeah, but, but Scott, don't we need to share the gospel with them? Well, absolutely we do. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But listen, we can't share the gospel of love if we don't genuinely love people. Maybe you hear that, but if you're honest, you would just say, you know what, I, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm there yet. I know that I should love people the way that Paul loved people, but the reality is I just, I just don't. Most days I don't even think about lost people. Most days I don't pray for a lost person. Most of the time I don't do anything intentional to try to show love to anyone who is lost. And if that's where you honestly find yourself today, then this would be my encouragement to you to, to do what I've had to do many times in my lifetime, and that is simply to confess that hardness of heart to God. To confess it as sin to God because that's what it is. And to ask God to change your heart, to say to God, God, I know that I should love the lost who are around me, but I just don't. And that's not something I can manufacture in my life. It's something that only you can give me. And so God, would you give me your heart of compassion for the lost? Would you fill me with a love that you have for them, that I could love them with a love that is genuine and authentic because it flows from you through me and out to them? But church, a disciple-making revolution has to start right here. It has to start with God-given, Spirit-produced love for lost people. But if we want to see this revolution, we also need to share our life with them. If you look back in verse 8, notice what it says, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Paul says that because of the way that they loved the people in this city, that they were well pleased, it made them happy, it made them excited to be able to impart or to share with them their lives. Now, what did Paul mean by that? When he says, I, I wanted to share my life with you. He, he didn't mean that he uh, was going to die for them. If he had died for them, obviously he wouldn't have been alive to write this letter, right? But, but he meant, uh, he wasn't talking about, I'm going to give my life for you, although he would have been willing to do that. What he's saying is that we gave our lives to you. And a lot of times, isn't that the most difficult thing of all? To give your life every day to the other people who are in your life. In our marriages, isn't that a challenge to give your life to your husband, to your wife every day? To give your life to your children every day. Paul says we gave our lives to the people of this city. Again, the question for us is pretty simple. Are we doing that? Right now, are we giving our lives to the lost who live in Melbourne and in Palm Bay? Are we sharing our lives right now? Can we honestly say that with people who don't know Jesus? And you know, one, one just very simple test of that, of whether or not you're doing that, is whether you know anybody who isn't already saved. If I asked you to name three people in your life who are friends of yours who don't know Jesus, and actually I'm going to do that before this message is over, <laughs> would you be able to come up with three names? Or would you be struggling to come up with that list? And you see what happens is after we come to know Christ, 
We join a church family, which we should do that, and we begin to spend more time at church, and we begin to spend more time with other believers, and, and some of you guys are like in 18 small groups and Bible studies, and, and, and you're basically here every night of the week, and you can get to a place, and again, it's good to, to be with the people of the Lord. We need that. We need that encouragement. We need to be with the body of Christ, but we can get to a place where we look around us, and we can't name one friend who isn't already saved. And if that's where we are, how are we going to be salt and light? How are we going to make any difference in the lives of those who live around us who don't know Jesus? And maybe you would say, well, I know people who aren't saved because they live by me and they work in the cubicle next to me, but, but the word friend is critical. Are there three people you can name that you consider friends and that they would consider you a friend? And if not, it is proof positive that we're not doing what Paul was talking about here. That we are not giving our lives to them. We're not sharing with them in the joys and the sorrows of life. Maybe what we've been doing is just giving our neighbors a wave and, and moving on, right? Giving them a head nod, giving them a, hey, how's it going, and moving on. But we're really only sharing life and real conversation with people who already know Jesus. But loving people means sharing your life with people. And that kind of love, that kind of sharing of life can't be faked. And it opens the door also for the gospel message that we would share. We're not going to be able to share that message effectively with anybody if they don't know that we love them and if we're not sharing our life with them. You know, the old adage is true that people do not care how much you know or what you know until they know how much you care. And we have to earn the right to be heard by sharing our lives with people. And, and I won't spend long here, but if we're going to share our lives with people, then, of course, the lives that we're sharing with people need to line up with the gospel that we're proclaiming. And Paul talked about that in this passage in verse 10. He said, You are witnesses in God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And in verse 12, he, he says, we challenge you to live the same way, to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And to put it simply, if the life we're living and sharing does not match up with the gospel that we are preaching, then we are undermining the message before it has even been heard. Where do, we, where do we start? If God is saying to you today that you need to become more intentional about doing this, about sharing your life with those who are around you. Where, where do you begin? And I know this sounds super simple, but it may just start with introducing yourself to some people. Like it, it literally may start with you walking down the street to a neighbor that you've passed on a dog walk every day for the last 17 years, but you've never said anything more than hi. And it may actually start with saying, hey, you know, I know we've been neighbors for like ever, probably like 25 years, but I don't think I've ever even introduced myself to you. I'm, who are you? What's your name? Where are you from? It may literally start with that, with breaking out of our bubble and reaching out to those who are around us. And when we get to know them, inviting friends and neighbors over to our home for a meal, inviting them into our lives, 
Maybe get together with a few neighbors that you do know and, and throw a block party for other neighbors that you don't know. And there's no ulterior motive. This isn't a, a bait and switch. This is literally just so you can build relationships and friendships with people who are around you so you can share life with them. And maybe God is leading you to do something similar with those you work with or, or go to school with. Building friendships. And like it says in Proverbs, a man who wants to have friends must show himself friendly. Again, it's so simple, but in our society, this is almost countercultural today, right? Because everybody just keeps to themselves, right? You know, you go into an elevator, what are you supposed to do? Look down at the floor, <laughs> right? That's what you're supposed to do. That's etiquette, right? You can literally be sitting on the bleachers next to a group of parents watching all of your kids play basketball or, or baseball or whatever it is, and everyone's on their phones, Right? Nobody talks, nobody has relationships, but we, we have to, as a church, break out of that. We have to reach out and, and share life with those that God has sovereignly placed around us if we're going to reach them. And the reason I'm stressing this so much is because, look, we can sit around all day and talk about how there are 200,000 lost people within 10 miles of our church that we long to see saved, and we can even be sincere about that, but if we don't even know them, how are we going to be able to share anything with them? How are we going to be able to make any kind of an impact in their lives? We're never going to have the opportunity to do that. And so it starts here with just opening up our lives to the people that God has placed around us and making genuine friendships and then just looking to do what Christians do, which is share the love of Christ. Church, if we're going to see a disciple-making revolution, it has to start with love it has to start with sharing our life. And of course, it also has to include sharing the gospel. If you look once more at verse 8, Paul writes, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. You know, I've said so much about just loving people and, and making friendships and sharing our life with people that Perhaps it's led you to believe that I think that we're never supposed to talk about Jesus, but that is not the case. Paul said we not only shared the gospel of God with you, but we also shared our life with you. But he did say that he shared the gospel. And in fact, he says that over and over in this letter. If you look back in chapter 1 and verse 5, he shares about how the gospel came to them with power and with the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1 and verse 9, he talks about how the people in this city turned from worshiping false gods to serving the living and true God. Well, let me tell you, that did not happen unless Paul and his missionary friends shared with them about the living and true God. They gave them a gospel witness. In chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, even though we were being persecuted, we were bold in the way that we brought the gospel of God to you. In verse 4, he talks about how he and his friends were entrusted with the gospel message to deliver it and to share it. In verse 9, he talks about how he labored day and night to earn a living so that he wouldn't have to be dependent on them so that nothing would get in the way of him being able to share the gospel with them. And then finally in verse 13, 
Paul reminds them about how when they were saved, they received the word of God and they received it not as a word coming from a man, but as it really was the gospel coming from God to them. What's the point? The point is that Paul and his team of missionaries did not just share their love. They didn't just share their life, but they also shared the gospel. They shared a witness of Jesus Christ with these individuals, and many of them came to trust in him as their savior. And this little church was born, and that would not have happened if they were only nice people who loved them but never said anything about Jesus. And I think that today in our culture, we're almost so afraid of being labeled as a Bible thumper that we have gone to the total other extreme and we're scared to even mention Jesus's name anymore. But it's only by the name of Jesus that anybody gets saved. If we want to see people saved, if we want to see people changed, if we want to see people redeemed and freed and rescued, then we have to talk about the only one who can do any of those things. Because we cannot save anybody. We can only introduce people to the one person who can. Now again, people are are not projects. They are people created by God and loved by God and we need to love them. We need to share with them again whether they ever believe or not, but also we need to understand that our kindness alone will not save people. They'll just think we're kind. They'll just think, oh, what a kind person. Oh, what a loving person. But that kindness alone is not enough to save somebody. Now, now someone will say, oh, well, now see, now you get to it. Now, now you're really not being authentic. All of this kindness, all of this love that you talked about earlier is just to get to this point where you can tell people about Jesus and, and, and you're just not being authentic in that. And what I would say to that is, is this, listen, as a Christian for whom Jesus Christ is the most important person in my life, I'm not being unauthentic to tell someone about Jesus. I'm being unauthentic if I never do tell them about Jesus. If I claim to be a friend with somebody and I hide the most important person in my life from them, that's not being real with them. And so if I'm just being who I am and I'm just being real with them, guess what? I'm going to occasionally talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about the church. I'm going to talk about the people of God. And I'm going to talk about the word of God. And I'm going to talk about things that God is doing in my life, things that I'm thankful for, where I see him. It's just going to come up naturally in conversation. And you know what? Through that, God can open the door with those that you have a real friendship with for gospel conversations to happen. It can happen in a thousand different ways. Maybe they'll say, you know, why do y'all go to church so much? Why is that so important to you? You have an opportunity to tell them why it's important to you. Maybe they'll ask you about some area of your life. You know, you're different when it comes to that. Why are you like that? Don't just say, well, I don't know. I guess it's the way I was raised. My mama raised me right. Don't say that. That's a missed opportunity, right? If they ask you why you're different, tell them it's because of Jesus Christ. Because he has changed you and he has saved you and he has made you like that by his grace and that you're still a work in progress. And you won't always be able to share a complete gospel conversation with someone standing on the sidewalk or even at the lunch table. 
You might not always be able to go through all three of the three circles that we talk about and use in our church as a way to share the gospel, but you might be able to just plant a seed. You might be able just to ask a question. You might be able to just make a statement and you open the door and you leave the door open for future conversations to happen. And maybe you ask them, hey, have you ever read the Bible? Would you be open just to get together, just to read a chapter from the Bible and talk about it now and then? You might be surprised at whose heart God is already at work in before you ever showed up. And he can use you to make a difference. And the message that we share at the end of the day is the gospel, and the word gospel is good news. And it is good news, isn't it? That even though we're sinners who deserve God's judgment, that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, that he died for us on the cross, that he rose again on the third day, that he paid for our sin in full, And because he did, we can be forgiven and saved forever. That's good news. Maybe you're here today and that's the first time that you have heard that good news and you want to know more about it after this service. Come and speak with me or one of the other pastors here at the front. We'd love to talk with you about that. But I want to speak to those who are here who already know Jesus as your Savior. and You're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you know that he's called you in 2019 to be a disciple maker. I want to ask you to take a card out of the pocket in front of you. It looks like this card here, Launch 321. There should be several of them in each of the chair pockets in front of you. And I want to ask you to take that card and to take a a pen or a pencil, and I want to give you a minute to write down some names that God is, is laying on your heart. First, I want to ask you to write down three names People that you're praying would come to know Christ this year. Three names of people you're praying for who are lost, friends of yours. And then out of those three names, I want you to write down two names that you plan to invite, to reach out to, and invite to something at our church this year where they'll hear the gospel message. And then finally, number one, write down one name that if God opens the door, that you plan to personally share the gospel with this year. As you think about that, just think about how exciting it would be if every person in our church did that. If every person in our church shared the gospel with one person in 2019, think about how many people would come into the family of God. Wouldn't that be amazing to see? Take a moment and write down the names that God lays on your heart and take a minute to pray for them, pray for yourself, that you would be bold, you'd be faithful to share your love, to share your life, to share the gospel with those that God has put on your heart.